Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table for this first interview episode of the month of March. Oh my gosh, the first episode every month is one of my favorites because we do the first episode every Thursday in March co-produced with the Austin Technology Council. And the Austin Technology Council is the region's largest tech industry organization that empowers members by using insights, resources, and connections so that their members can succeed and thrive. If you aren't familiar with ATC, you have to find out about them. And today's guest, they are members of the Austin Technology Council. Now, before we get started, the first thing I have to do is I have to thank one of the sponsors of this episode. So this episode, like so many of them, is brought to you by my friends at Amplifier. Now, I know that many of you, you offer physical products to your customers and your fans, but dealing with those physical things and stuffing them and mailing them and going to the post office, that takes away all your precious time. Well, Amplifier blends order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you control. And that's who I work with in creating the Try New Things t-shirts, which you can go buy at trynewthings.shop. Hey, they integrate with your e-commerce shop, and they help you drive any giveaway campaigns. And they're great for big companies or small. On-demand means no inventory risk. But as you grow, you can stock up on inventory, and Amplifier is going to handle it all for you. Go to amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. So today's episode, we are going to talk to the co-founders of Underminer Studios. So Tim and Alex Porter, they're a married couple who are starting and growing this company, and they are doing amazing things. They take the impossibilities of dreams and turn them into reality. They make tech more accessible through the use of visual tools, and they are going to share with us their entrepreneurial journey today on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey, uh, Alex. And Tim, welcome. Hello. Welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you for being the second guests on the now monthly Austin Technology Council episode. Awesome. Thank you very much for having us. It is wonderful to be here. And as well, your intro was completely spot on. That is exactly (laughs) what we do. Well, it was so great that you provided that for me. That's always wonderful. So, Well, you know, (laughs) that's, that's the way it works, right? I mean, if you want to be represented well, you represent yourself. That's right. Hey, so why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what Underminer Studios is all about? Great. Yeah, I'd love to. Underminer Studios has been around for three years now, and we have focused on creating opportunity for different businesses to access visualization tools like AR, VR, and volumetric video. We're using sort of off-the-shelf uh, equipment, and we're enabling them to make, sh- make it accessible within their paradigm. So why don't you tell everybody what AR and VR is, because not everybody's probably as tech-savvy as you guys are in this space. You want to handle this one? Okay. Um, so augmented reality and virtual reality are on the entirely opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to immersion. The idea of virtual reality is is that you're entirely sealed off into a world 
of which you join as an individual. While on the opposite end is augmented reality. Augmented reality, the objects from the digital world join your world. The amazing thing about both of these different technologies is their use cases can be uh, varied, but it tends to be on virtual reality. It's something that you want to go ahead and convey a message to someone where they go ahead and interact with that world. If you think about something like virtual reality therapy, where you want somebody to go into a virtual space, it's entirely safe. And then on the flip side, everybody's played Pokemon Go with augmented reality. If you're looking for an information overlay or something that's quick that allows you to stay inside your world, that's the direction. So, so did both of you have this like highly tech background? What led you to entrepreneurship? What did you do before you started Underminer? My background is actually based in child and family services. Where which which for- le- naturally leads to being the CEO of a, of a tech company. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, in my mind, what that really helped me to, to fuel within myself is the ability to communicate with people, right? And I think as a CEO, driving the vision of a company and creating team that will help execute the vision that you have, I think it's really important to understand where people come from and how to service your users and your clients and really understand what their needs are. Uh, my education is actually in interior design. Um, so I went from physical design to digital design. And I've actually been able to use a lot of those principles in many of the projects that we worked on in virtual reality, augmented reality, and volumetric video. So Tim, I yes. assume with the CTO title, maybe you had a little bit more of a technical background? Yes, correct. I spent 10 years in the video game industry and I spent another year inside of movies, uh, inside of the game industry. I started off as... Uh, I actually had a degree in computer animation from Full Sail University. Uh, And then I started off doing environment art and shading and lighting, which means I would make that final look and things like that. And then eventually uh, I ended up going to become a technical artist where my specialties were threefold. Uh, I spent a lot of time as an interdepartment liaison, being able to make different teams understand what was going on. Uh, I also built automated tools and toys, so uh, fully automated systems to be able to assist with the transfer process between multiple different teams, and then also to speed up that, uh, you know, 50 clicks a day uh, kind of issue. Uh, and then the very end, uh, my my most favored skill or, or the skill that companies favor me the most for uh, was device-specific optimization. Uh, so I can make really big things run on really small uh, platforms uh, like mobile and, and VR and AR, uh, which helped us out greatly in the very beginning of uh, virtual reality when, when that came out. A lot of the major companies that were out there came from a AAA space and they're used to all that horsepower, but uh, you didn't exactly get that. So uh, it was it was a natural slide over for us to go ahead and start running uh, Underminer Studios about three years ago. So when you guys made the leap to being entrepreneurs, let's talk a little bit about working side by side with your spouse. I've, I've interviewed a few other husband and wife teams, and I always find it interesting because everybody comes about it a little differently. Were you excited about the possibility of working together? Was it like, holy whatever about working together. How did you guys feel about going into it and how has it been for the last three plus years? I actually think that we're really fortunate in that we complement each other very well. Our skill sets specific to our business are absolutely uh, phenomenally well positioned for us to be successful. Um, On that front, of course, a lot of it is all about communication. We have to find the communication tools that work best for us. Um, honestly, there have been times where I've been told I need to slack him in the same room. <laughs> uh, things like that. And really just enabling that open sort of uh, spigot of information uh, and within the framework of operational efficiency. Yeah. 
kind of, kind of, uh, I like to call it a work-life blend. It's not really a balance because it's all together. Yeah, I'm never, I'm not, I've not been a big believer in work-life balance overall. I have always been a believer that there's sort of that, sort of that blend as, as, as you put it. So are there other people involved with the company now? How have you grown? We, uh, we have a couple of different contractors who work with us. Uh, one of our, our major contractors is uh, Jeremy uh, Rosart Brondes. Uh, and he is, I always, always, I always butcher his name. He's a, he's a lovely guy. He works with us uh, on a regular basis. And he actually graduated from UT uh, and then ended up starting working with Hoth, uh, which we actually work with them uh, a lot. Uh, we Whenever we need new contractors or, or anything like that, they have a program where basically what it does is uh, they take people who are on that cusp of being ready to work in a professional space, but necessarily already have the, the technical skills because they've graduated with a degree. Uh, and then we help them polish out uh, a lot of the edges. So, you know, we talked about my major skills, um, being a technical artist, having all of those capabilities. It's really nice to just go, okay, I need this card for this project. I need this card for this project. And it, and it is very helpful to be able to go ahead and reach out to them and bring on uh, different people as we need that. And then they also understand that, you know, this is something that uh, we may or may not use them again for, which is a little bit difficult when you talk about bringing on full-time people uh, based on the way our projects change. Uh, as you've heard, AR, VR, MR, we do, you know, volumetric video, IOT, like everything across the board. Sometimes it's very difficult for people to, to switch those gears. So we found this is something that works out very well for us. So you bring up something very interesting, Tim, as you mentioned this one contractor who you work a lot with, and you said that he had just graduated or whenever recently had graduated from the University of Texas at Austin, which leads us to an interesting thing about our tech community here. We have a lot of really smart people, whether they went to UT or whether they moved here after after their education. Austin has a lot of opportunities. I mean, we have people who can do all sorts of things. Why do you think Austin is such a great community for tech? I think that Austin really lends itself to being a wonderful community because there's a lot of collaborative uh, sort of mindset. I think everyone really wants to help boost everyone. The rising tide rises all ships is one of our favorite things. And ultimately, uh, we are very fortunate that we get to sort of participate in that, right? The Austin Technology Council in and of itself is creating more of that community. Are the events that are here, South by Southwest, uh, Capital Factory, all of the other sort of initiatives in town to really boost Austin as a whole and everyone really contributing what they can to those efforts. And there's also, there's a bunch of different companies that are already here, already started here or have satellite offices here. So any place that you have that's a magnet, you start out with uh, schools that are magnet style schools. UT is, is notorious for their abilities when it comes to engineering, when it comes to uh, programming, uh, and then as well coming up uh, more recently is their ability in uh, game art and game production. Uh, once you take all of those different things and then you add on top of that the jobs that allow people to stay here, it's a natural jump to go ahead and take talented and, and like-minded individuals and then go ahead and go, well, you know, they do the same thing that we do. I really like working for other people, but I really like the ideas that I can bring to the table. And let's see if I can't do it. You know, let's give it a old, good old college try. But a bunch. So, yeah. So are you guys bullish on the future of technology for Austin and the community? Not necessarily. I mean, I mm. think that we're optimistic. That's where we are. We are optimistic. I think there is a lot of change happening in the world of tech. 
And I think that we are riding the wave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right now we're going through a lot of different um, uh, hype cycles at the same time. Hype cycle number one, obviously, uh, VR in uh, coming back through and then augmented realities in its secondary hype cycle after its first fails in the uh, early cell phone age. And then we have volumetric video that's coming through. Uh, we have secondary motion capture services that are coming through. So the entertainment industry and technology just in general is, is going through a lot of different overlapping cycles that uh, make it not only difficult to understand exactly what's going on or what's going to go on in the future, um, but it definitely will solidify a location that is able to swap and move from one technology to another technology quickly as a dominant factor. And I definitely believe that's the reason why Austin's going to do well is because it's a maker community uh, and it has the capability of putting things together and understanding that community is the only way to drive it, hearkening back to our previous comment of rising tides. So now that you guys have been doing this for a while, what do you love most about the lifestyle of being entrepreneurs? I love the flexibility, to be honest. Um, we primarily office from home. Uh, we've done some co-working. Uh, we've actually uh, recently started working out of the library one day a week. Uh, the, the, downtown uh, Austin, the downtown Austin library? Which Absolutely. is epic. Awesome. Let's talk about that for a minute. Like I heard that we were building like a new library and I thought really in like 2016, we're going to spend money to build a library. And then it opened like in last year in 2018. And my wife's like, oh, we should go look. And I'm like, we should go look at a library. Yes. And then I walked around for like two hours going, oh my God, if anybody's listening to this and you live within a hundred miles of Austin and you haven't been to the public library in downtown, you have missed out. Don't you agree? It uh, is yeah. amazing. As someone from an interior design background, I am, I go in there and I'm totally nerding out. There is always something new that you see every time you go, no matter how many times you've been. And it's like a co-working space with all of the like different rooms they have. I, I actually worked with a small group that we had a meeting and we were up on like the top floor in a room that was like all glass overlooking like the whole building and the whole skyline. And I was like, this is free. It's my library. Oh yeah. No, it's super cool. You can go outside, you can hang out. I mean, Austin, you know, tends to be really tepid when it comes to weather. So <laughs> a lot of times we'll go outside, we'll chill out there. Jeremy will hang out inside, hold the table. You can go to lunch, come back. Like, it, it really is like the downtown lifestyle without having to have a downtown apartment for like five minutes. It's great. I mean, so we lived downtown Vancouver for uh, a number of years and it was just, it was great to have that. But then you also live downtown. So it's like all the benefits of that. And then you get to go home to your home. That is it, you know, 300 square foot of overlooking the entire city. So where are you guys from? Where are you from originally? I am actually originally from Arkansas. I lived there until I was 10, but I grew up in Austin. Oh, okay. um, so middle school, high school, college, marriage. And then we lived in five cities in four years, round robin, back to Austin. Okay. And Tim, where are you my, from? My story is a little more bizarre. Um, I grew up in Houston, and then I went to school in Florida, and then went to South Carolina. Uh, and then I came back here to Austin, and then we did the other five cities. So I've lived on both coasts and, uh, you know, very south in the middle. Basically, I've avoided snow wherever I attempted to go. And that's just, you know, that's my life. You and me both. I, I grew up in Los Angeles. I went to college in San Diego. I lived in the Bay Area. And then I've been in Austin for 27 years. So I, I, there totally, you go. I totally get Good the choice. moving around is cool as long as there's not winter. Yeah. 
Well, I heard San Francisco is not doing so hot right now. It's got like 14 inches of snow, or at least they're pretending like it. Well, I think the funniest thing about Austin is we had our one day of winter this year on Monday. Did Did you notice it was like 35 degrees for like 24 hours and then it was in the 50s and 60s again? Well, you know, it's great. We had, so we, we had just gotten done. Um, so we, we, we left here. We went to Florida to give a talk on volumetric video. And then when we came back, because it was like 70 degrees, it was 80 degrees in Florida. We come back and we're literally looking at the, out the window and there's hail yeah. on the wing. Yeah, hail and I'm Monday. like, oh yeah. man, we're yeah, Friday last we're, week. We don't have any jackets. We don't have anything. Like it was, it was great. Yeah, Only but, briefly uncomfortable. But you know what the, you know what they say. If you don't like the weather in Austin, just wait a few minutes. It'll change. Exactly. Yeah, but you need a jacket to wait, man. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what advice do you have for people who want to, whatever their background is, they want to start their own company? Maybe it's in tech. Maybe it's something else. But they're like, yeah, we've bounced around. We've moved around. Now we want to take control. What advice would you give somebody? Don't follow the money. Follow the dream. Hmm. The money will always come. If you find something that you're passionate about, you'll be good at it. You'll never, you'll never work a day in your life. And and they say that. And, and uh, at the same time, you'll work every day. So <laughs> be intelligent about how you do it. Make sure that you have somebody who protects your monetary interests. But in the very end of all of this, if you do something you're passionate about and you can find a way to make a buck of it and you can find somebody, Alex, um, who can make sure that you keep your money as you're doing it, you'll do all for yourself. I'm a so, little bit more on the uh, logical side of that argument. I'm so, like, do some research, read a lot of books. <laughs> so, so, so uh, you are you are our CEO, you are wife, and you are the voice of logic. Indeed, indeed, I am. He is the dreamer, and I am the grounder, as he has said to me before. But I love I love what you said, Tim, because that's really what I did. I spent a large portion of my career, twenty plus years. The way I describe it is my ladder was against the wrong wall. I did sort of what my parents had set in motion, you know, go get a corporate job, go to college and go get a corporate job. Uh, I was married. I had kids. I, I did what I thought I had to do to be the provider. Uh, and I was successful. I had a marketing and then a, a sales job and then a marketing jobs. And I, I did fine, but I wasn't passionate. I certainly was not following the dream. Uh, and 10 years ago, I got laid off in the the heart of the recession. 2009, uh, April, they say was the worst of it all. And I got laid off April 1st, 2009. And I decided I was going to go out and take my my knowledge of what I had learned and what I've done. I was going to become a speaker and a trainer. And I was going to go into associations and companies to their big meetings and then also do uh, smaller like group team trainings. And I've never looked back for 10 years. Now, the money didn't always follow. It was sort of a, a rough go at first. But, you know, over the course of a decade, decade, my wife will tell you if I'd stayed in corporate America, we might have made more money. But I've been much happier for a decade. And I can laugh and I can start projects like this podcast that has been going on now for four and a half years that, you know, it's probably over four years, you know, produced six figures, but like one figure at a time. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I mean, if I added up over four and a half years, sure, I made six figures off the podcast. But, you know, it's usually because someone listens and says, oh, we're having a team meeting. Let's bring you in. And it's local and they don't have a really big budget. But if you stitch them all together, yeah, it's been great, but it's not enough to live on. But it's totally been a, a passion project for me. And it has opened up the doors. It's allowed me to meet people like you who I may have never encountered before, both here in Austin and beyond. So I, I love your I love your point about being able to follow that dream. I think that's I think that's really, really great advice. I have one addition to that. Uh, it's a little bit more on on the, the touchy feely side. I try to tell people um, that honestly, there's no right time 
to start a business, just like I think there's no right time to have like a baby. You know, you <laughs> think you know what you know until you don't know it. <laughs> uh, and really, it wasn't um, something that we had meticulously planned when we started our business. And honestly, I think that it has helped us grow by leaps and bounds as people um, in our marriage and as our company. I actually often tell people that I have three children. We have a four-year-old, my three-year-old business, and my two-year-old. So <laughs> this is my baby. <laughs> well, that's nice that the company is the middle child. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it acts like one sometimes. I was going to say, that actually child. saves your actual human children from having to be the middle child. So that's good. Somebody somebody gets to be the oldest. Somebody gets to be the youngest. They've totally survived. <laughs> I like that. Yes. I'm going to remind them of that. That's right. For the rest Every of their lives. Every single day. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. So, so speaking, so you have two children. So where were you, um, where were you, Alex, in the birth order of your family? Were you an oldest? Were you a youngest? I'm a middle. You're, oh well, that explains it all then. And you, Tim? I, I am. I am the baby. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yes, so, so it is interesting because uh, I have I have two kids, and my my firstborn is a senior uh, about to graduate from Carnegie Mellon University, and she will tell you flat out that she had to grow up in a house full of youngests because I was a last born, my wife was a last born, and then she has a younger sister. So she she used to call my oldest brother and go, "Save me! I live in a house of youngests." Oh, that's hilarious. Oh. <laughs> there's, there's something to that birth order thing. I oh, yeah, it. absolutely. So one of the things I teach when I go in and work with teams is I do a program called the Paradox of Potential because we get so excited about potential when we start a business, when we hire an employee, whatever it is. And yet potential does not equal results. And oh my, yeah, that's great. yeah, not at all. And so, so what I want to ask you is if when people start a business and they have a good business plan, they've actually thought it through and they did that research and, you know, they got a good business partner and they got some backing and whatever it takes, they all have potential. Fast forward three years, some of them are succeeding and moving forward and, and, and triumphing and others have fallen into the abyss of the gap between potential and results and they're going nowhere. What do you think contributes to people getting farther across that gap towards their potential? Business acclimate, no question, hands down. The, the thing is, you know, me coming from a background, literally my entire career was about product, knowing how to do product, selling product, making sure that the project and product was always talked about and thought about. I literally sat as the, the, the lone silo between all the different teams to make sure that that happened. And then coming out, um, you know, I started this and I, I took a, a more headstrong role just because that was what I was used to. I was used to being the person in the middle and this is what we're doing. And, and Alex was a little bit further back on that. And then um, as we've moved further forward, her having a more advanced role and having a, a role that, that literally speaks to the title that she has where she drives the ship, we've done so much better. Um, and, and honestly, that is the difference between potential Someone like me who can literally walk into any studio, flip it upside down, take it inside out and be able to make it run like a top and then being able to make a business happen because I'm able to go ahead and turn a production side into a well-run machine doesn't mean that I can turn a business into a well-run machine. They are not the same. And so if you find somebody who literally goes, I don't know which way I'm going maybe just a slight tweak or finding somebody out there who has big business acclimate that's more than yours is going to make a world of a difference. We actually have many very wonderful uh, advisors uh, for us who make sure that we're covered because 
you know, we're all starting out. Let's be honest. You know, even 20 years down the road, we're all starting out. There's always going to be somebody smarter than you. And that's the difference between making something happen and making what you want happen. Alex, anything to add? Yeah, I think a lot of it um, does have to do with having that systematic view of sort of the marketplace, your business, how you play in that space, what what you're bringing to it that differentiates you, and then having that granular view of how you are running your day-to-day business and understanding that those are two very different places of thinking. And you, if, if you're not capable of one, you have to find someone that is able to do that so that you have that balance. Uh, and if you are capable, just remembering that you can't switch back and forth. You have to do one at a time so that you really understand how to create that success for your business, both daily and long term. All right, Alex, Tim, I've got more questions for you. I'm not going to let you go yet. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Alex and Tim Porter. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. On a side note, you do really sound wonderful. <laughs> I would like to point out. You, you really do. Very, very clear. Very good. Awesome. Go tell all your friends. I actually am in the process of, of uh, talking to a association and a company about becoming mm-hmm. the host of their podcasts because they want podcasts, but they don't have someone on the inside that they have. And they, they listened to this show and they came back and said, could you be our host? And I said, well, yes, I can. And so we're in the process of, of negotiating that. So apparently after 400 and, you know, 40 episodes or whatever it's been, uh, I've actually figured out that maybe I can do this thing. So now I'm turning it into uh, a bigger business and actually taking on uh, uh, podcasting for other people. I think that's not, I'm telling tales before they, before they exist. Yeah. I believe in you. I think you can do it. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. So, so Tim, when we were talking about how people get across the gap, you were talking a little bit about advisors and you touched on that too. Alex, I am a real big believer. If anybody who listens to the show knows, I will talk on almost every episode about the importance of mentors and mentorship and peer-to-peer mastermind groups. How do you go about finding advisors? How do you go out about finding peers or mentors to help you? Oh, man. Oh, you you go ahead. Sure. Sorry. (laughs) So uh, this is actually something that's primarily what I do within our business, Um, create these sort of relationships and these opportunities. Um, We have tapped into a few different organizations um, to find this. I know that Austin Technology Council does have a mentorship part of their program. Um, We have not participated in that one specifically yet, uh, but I anticipate there's going to be an opportunity soon. Uh, We did uh, tap into the Consumer Technology Association. So this is the big Washington governing body that actually does a lot of legislative push toward technology uh, legislation that, you know, makes sure that we can actually continue doing what we're doing. We understand what the policy changes are, all that kind of stuff. Um, but they have a wonderful mentor program. We actually uh, are part of a couple of their different working groups and, uh, and we, we've tapped into that and it's been fantastic. Uh, and we also uh, use SCORE. 
So SCORE is the big SBA mentor program, um, one of their one of their opportunities is a mentor program. And one of our long-term advisors has been from that. And uh, that's been really fantastic. And as far as peer-to-peer, uh, you know, Facebook groups are very prevalent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are great. Some of them are not so great. I uh, am very, I'm a very big fan of one of the local groups. Uh, the Female Founders Texas group is one that was started by Lori Felco-Jones. And it's actually been a really wonderful opportunity to just go into a safe place. I see these people, I do see these people in person regularly, but I also interface with them online almost daily. And I can go in, as a matter of fact, yesterday I posted uh, asking for some advice about uh, tagline. I wanted some feedback and it's just an easy place to, you know, have that, have that conversation. And I highly recommend finding groups like that that feel like they're a safe place for you to ask your questions. There are lots of good ones out there. Yeah, I mean, I've been teaching people the importance of networking both online and in person for over a decade. And and groups like the ones you mentioned, of course, like the Austin Technology Council and so many others, it's such an important way because really networking groups or networking events that's not where the networking happens. It happens after you meet somebody. The, the association or the online group is really just a tool for you to make the first connection. It's what do you do with it afterwards? Like you said, every day or every time I go, I find those people. That's how relationships are built. And I think that's why in a world where we're so caught up with likes, links, shares, and follows, I think it is so important that we get back to that human connection uh, both online and off. So cheers it, to you for that. It's funny because I have the way that I get the advisors that help me more, uh, are LinkedIn. Uh, I tend to hit up people and I'm like, Hey, you do the cool things that I do. And I'd like to do more like what you do. Do you want to like be my friend and show me how to do stuff and stuff? And it works well, <laughs> That's especially cause I say it just like that. That's awesome. That's well, any, anytime you use the word cool things in a sentence, I think it's a good sentence. So that's awesome. Since that awesome, is the name awesome, of the show. Yeah. Since, so since I call the show cool things entrepreneurs do, what's the coolest thing you guys are doing with your business right now? I would definitely say the coolest thing we're doing is volumetric video. Of course you said that. Of course. <laughs> of course. stole my answer. So the reason that that's really cool and what we actually, uh, one of the ways we describe that is humanizing the digital world. So we're actually creating realistic human content from videos and allowing it to be seen from any point of view in three dimensions. So this can be used in any sort of media TV, film, AR, VR, and really it just increases that immersion and potentially the interaction within those digital realms and allows people to really have more control and uh, interest within these kind of places that we are every day. We're always online. We're video chatting with people. We're watching TV. We're watching movies where, you know, slowly but surely people are doing more AR and VR. Uh, And those places we really want to tap in and create the opportunity for that human connection. I yeah, think, definitely. I think uh, awesome. So uh, in, in, in my world, it's not necessarily just the volumetric video, but it's the uh, possibilities that volumetric video and the technology surrounding it can provide us. Um, I'm really excited in volumetric video and how it stands because it frees up the world that we currently have. Right now, you're looking at us and we're looking at each other, and, and even though nobody can see this, um, through webcams. Uh, webcam has a single point of interest and you know that's the world that we have but there's so much information that's lost between the three-dimensionality and the two-dimensionality of what a human can perceive uh, so 
we end up losing something like 20% of the amount of information that happens from our depth of perception uh, that happens. And, and so if we can add that in, uh, we have better communication. We can also help doctors understand uh, different injuries and issues in a remote fashion. Uh, think about, you know, being in some remote place and you breaking your leg is the difference between a fracture or a clean break without an x-ray. A doctor can tell that, that with a good look, but can they tell that through a photo? Probably not. Um, between that and then its ability to go ahead and save and preserve is what's one of the most amazing things. We had uh, 2012, we lost a massive amount of antiquities due to social unrest inside of Egypt. Uh, we lost many mummies and and different uh, uh, artifacts, artifacts, <laughs> and just just continue on uh, because there was political unrest. And the the really amazing thing is through photogrammetry, videogrammetry, volumetric video, this entire stack, we can save those things for the future. I envision a world where you walk into a blank space uh, museum where you can very immediately go. I'm going to be in the Louvre. I'm going to be in. You know, I'm going to be in the, the Met. I'm going to be somewhere else. And, and you're able to go ahead and increase our understanding of other human beings. Maybe this can break down walls between different races, different issues that people have. It's a hell of a lot more difficult to hate somebody when you can see them directly in front of you talking to you. <laughs> and maybe that's something that we can do. I like, I like that. So one of the last questions I ask everybody who comes on the show is who is it in the entrepreneur sphere out there in the world of entrepreneurs who is it that you admire? Because I think great entrepreneurs, I, I think I think they're observers. So I love to know when you look out there, you say she or he, wow, they're doing cool stuff. You go first. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to um, point towards uh, somewhere closer to like ADI uh, in, in that space. So it's not necessarily just an entrepreneur, but an entrepreneur group. Uh, and, and the reason why is they were able to go ahead and pick up and make some of the first movements towards uh, volumetric video. And right now they're doing a pushback where they are attempting to go ahead and save stories. So they actually did stories with uh, Holocaust survivors and saving their stories before, of course, you know, most of these uh, survivors are older uh, so that we can save uh, information for future generations. We, we do have a, you know, large pushback in our current political uh, agenda right now that involves maybe not listening to hurt that has happened previously and, and having somebody who can, once again, sit in front of you and talk directly to you about the things that happened to them. It's it's much more difficult to deny uh, the atrocities that have happened in our past and doing things like that are just truly amazing to me. Hmm. I'm, I'm on a sort of similar vein in that uh, I don't tend to idolize individual people. Um, you know, I kind of follow along, I read books, uh, you know, I think that they, uh, can make a huge difference. You know, all of that. there's that, you know, never ending list of entrepreneurial reads that you should read. Um, and I think a lot of, of where I'm coming from these days is just looking at my peers, looking at my peers and seeing what they're doing and really kind of normalizing the, the, the struggles and the, the successes of being an entrepreneur, because this is What's happening, you know, with our business, with the way that we're working to grow and the, the daily, you know, tasks that are in hand is happening to other businesses that aren't doing tech. It's happening to, you know, my a friend of mine who is doing a childcare platform. It's happening to all the other folks that are in this space. And it helps me to realize that this is okay. 
and I want to do this and other people are doing this and seeing the successes of those who have, uh, you know, those, those overnight successes are everyone, right? Everyone's an overnight success. Well, they say, they say, an over, they say an overnight success takes 10 years. And so I'm, yeah, hit, yeah, I'm right? hitting, I'm hitting the 10 year anniversary as a speaker and a trainer. So I'm expecting un, unwildly crazy success in All 2019. Right. <laughs> People are going to be like, where do you come from? That was an overnight success. So, so because you both live in Austin, because I live in Austin, and because this show is co-produced with the Austin Technology Council, I want to close out with one of the most pressing local questions that faces our population. Torchies or Taco Deli? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Taco Deli's great, but, like, it depends. Like, do you, do you, do you want to go away feeling like your stomach no longer exists in your body, then you go to Torchies <laughs> because it like has an out of body experience. It's like 900 pounds of food. Now, if you were like, I want to have lunch and I'm excited to eat, then you go to Taco Deli. <laughs> that if sounds I'm like a non, wait a minute. That's a total non-committal answer, Tim. I'm turning this over to Alex. It, de- <laughs> it depends on the location. I'm also not going to commit. If I'm at the farmer's market, it's Taco Deli all the way. That's, that's who's there. Uh, if I am downtown on second, the brand new Torchies is where I'll be. So I'm I'm all for every kind of taco. <laughs> there, there, there isn't such a thing as a bad taco. In fact, I actually am having a little love affair with the taco truck that's at Radio Coffee. Uh, they make a dang good taco as well. So yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. So. Too bad they don't have corn. <laughs> all right, <laughs> you mean tortillas? They love corn tortillas. Yes, they do. Because I only I only eat corn tortillas. Me too. I'm so excited. Maybe they were out. There you Maybe go. They were out. There you go. They, they have them and their potato, egg and cheese taco rivals anybody. But I'm I'm going to fess up. I'm a Taco Deli guy. So oh, I picked yeah. a side in that fight. Choices, choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, say thank you so much, guys, for being on the show. If somebody's listening and they're like, these people are cool. I have to know more about them. How do they find you? Underminerstudios.com. Awesome. You're welcome to uh, find us there. Reach out. Say hello. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to uh, Alex Porter and Tim Porter from Underminer Studios for joining us on this co-produced episode with the Austin Technology Council. And thank you to everybody who tuned in. I say it every single time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. If you like cool things entrepreneurs do, whether this is your first time ever listening or maybe it's your 340th time listening, whatever, do me a favor. Go and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. New subscriptions are the way that shows rank, and uh, that's the only way we really get found. The other way that we actually get found by people, when I ask somebody says, I listen to your show, I say, how did you find me? They say, a friend told me. So go out there and tell some of your friends about this podcast and what it is that you like about them. So we're going to be back in a couple of days with another episode, and we're back every Thursday with great interviews with really talented entrepreneurs. But I say it every time. As you go out there, try something new. If you keep doing the same things, you're going to get the same results. Try new things. And you can go buy your shirt at trynewthings.shop. And while you're out there trying something new, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at tomsinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at tomsinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.